Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch and this is episode 55 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's doing all right out there this week. I'm suffering a little bit. I don't know what it is, seasonal blues or because of the time change or the weather change or something, but I'm... I'm I'm struggling this week, just to be honest with you. Um, we didn't record an episode of my other podcast that we were supposed to record this week because I just couldn't get the motivation to do it. And my co-host over there, when we talked about what was going on, said that it was almost like blues for apathy, which, first of all, that would be a killer R&B band name. But secondly, it really kind of captured how I felt and and how I'm feeling. And luckily, I have uh, a lot of episodes of this podcast already in the can. So then it's just finding the motivation to edit them and put them together and record this brief intro. So we have an episode of this show this week, and I hope you enjoy it. It's great comedy. And our guest is fantastic. And our, our guest is is interesting because when the COVID quarantine started back in March, there were, of course, jokes that there was going to be a huge baby boom nine months later. And then in the podcasting community, there became a joke that there was a podcasting boom because it seemed like now everybody was shut in without anything to do. So they were creating podcasts. And I've certainly seen some podcasts come about from that that were not very good. Uh, but this guest this week is one of those who created a podcast and has been doing it here in the quarantine time, and it's really good. Uh, the guest is Lauren Carey, and she is co-host of the Beard Al podcast. That's, that's B-E-E-R-D. Uh, they talk about Weird Al, and they talk about beer. And what other movie would someone who hosts a Weird Al Yankovic podcast pick but his only feature film, UHF? So Lauren and I sat down and talked about UHF, and talked about our love of Weird Al and, and all of the people who appear in this movie who have since become really big comedic stars, but really weren't at the time. So I hope you enjoy our conversation this week. Uh, here we go with 1989's UHF. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Because we haven't talked a lot about you, just the movie that you picked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I live in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, my brother and I started a, a little podcast. A quarantine kind of spurned it on because we both had so much free time. And we started a podcast about two of our favorite things. And those things are Weird Al and Beer. And uh, so it's called the the Beard Al podcast. And basically, we pair up a Weird Al song with a beer, and we talk about it. So UHF, the it's it's Weird Al's um, one and only movie, uh, <laughs> <laughs> seemed appropriate to talk about here. You know, um, I, I just I'm going to gush a lot about Weird Al because I I don't think he can do any any wrong <laughs> in my opinion. Right. So it, without asking you to pinpoint too much, can you give me an idea of, of how old you are, like within a decade? Oh, sure. I'm going to be, uh, what's today's date? September something. I'm going to be 35 in a month. Okay. All right. So, okay. That, that gives me an idea. See, I was a huge Weird Al fan in my teen years, um, which is also, you know, when this came out. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I was, th this probably hit theaters when I was in the peak of 
just being an absolute Weird Al fanatic. So I was just curious where it it came for you. And of course, we'll talk a little bit about that as as we get into the actual movie. So it, it, being a Weird Al fan, then you've also got to be a fan of comedies, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Comedies are it's probably my number one uh, movie genre. If, if I have to pick, I am like probably nine times out of 10 putting on a comedy because when I sit down to watch a movie, I that's when I really don't want to have to think too, too hard. I just like to be entertained <laughs> and I just I just want to laugh. OK, so what are some of your favorite comedies? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, it's it's probably right along the the same lines as as UHF. I love both of the uh, Pee Wee Herman movies. So you've got Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Big Top Pee Wee. Love, <laughs> I love them. If you haven't watched Pee Wee's Big Adventure, that's it's an adventure. I, I will tell you that much. Um, really. And, and then lately, I feel like there's been a lot of good uh, comedies with women, you know, so I, I really enjoy, you know, Bridesmaids um, and anything that, you know, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler have put out there. Uh, right. Because I feel like for the longest time, comedy was such a like a dude thing that yes. I I love that, you know, women are like, no, we can be just as stupid. <laughs> that's that's an interesting way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, there has been a really good boom of female driven comedy in the last you know decade. Um, and, and I can't say I care for all of them. Like train wreck comes to mind. Yeah. I, 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 it's funny, but it's not something I would just put on the same way I might put on comedies from, you know, 20 years ago where I, I, you know, just lazy afternoon. Let me throw this on as background noise, but there have been some brilliant performances and I, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts with comedians. And I think a lot of that also just has to do with females in the comedy world being a little more accepted that it's no longer a female comedian. It's a comedian and she happens to be female. Right. Yeah. You don't need that qualifier so much anymore. Yeah. But for a longest time, that wasn't, that wasn't a thing. Like they were, they were overlooked or, or, or not even really welcome in the comedy community. Yeah. I mean, you, you had just like the one here and there that, that could do it and was accepted for doing it. You know, one of my personal favorites is, I mean, I, I love Lucy. I love Lucille Ball. And I think she kind of got the no pun intended. She got the ball rolling for for women in comedy, and you know, I just I just recently watched. Uh, gosh, I think it was. Oh gosh, it was on one of those stupid cable channels. I don't remember. Not stupid, but it was on one of those like you don't think about it cable channels. But it was a two hour kind of retrospective of Lucille Ball's kind of life and sort of what she did for women in comedy. And I think you know, much like anybody making parody music today, sort of owes a you know, a debt of gratitude to Weird Al. I think any woman that tries to, you know, go out there and and make a name for herself in comedy is the same kind of debt of gratitude to Lucy. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring that up because that's like when I think comedy, Lucille Ball tends to be like the first thing I think of, which is, you know, because I love Lucy being so iconic and yet there weren't a lot of women allowed in comedy at the time. So it's it, it's this irony that that's like the first thing I think of, but it's not indicative of what the world of comedy has been up to this point. Yeah, she's the 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 exception that makes the rule, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, other movies do you like beyond comedy? Uh, beyond comedy? I mean, that's a good question. I mean... Uh, I could watch the Shawshank Redemption forever. I think, ah. <laughs> you know, I, I could watch that over and over again. I love, I love Almost Famous, um, but in the same vein as uh, Shawshank Redemption, I also love the the Green Mile. And you know, they're both non horror Stephen King movies, which I think are the only good Stephen King movies. 
it's 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 true. I I, I mean I um I'm a college uh, writing professor, so I have to look at the craft of writing. And Stephen King is a brilliant writer. Like his books are amazing, you know, but they right. don't translate well to film. And conversely, you know, I, I'm hesitant to bring her up, but I'm, I'm going to. J.K. Rowling, I don't think she's a great writer as far as the craft of writing goes, but she made a really good story that translates well to film. You know, right. Uh, so it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. But uh, Shawshank Redemption and Green Mile, I think they're both great, great movies and um, adaptations of Stephen King's work. I mean, then you think about the horror movies like Pet Cemetery is terrible. Tommy Knocker is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to confess I have not seen the Green Mile yet. Um, which is a shame because I've easily had the DVD in my collection for over a decade and I just still have not put it in and watched it. But I know there are a lot of people who poo poo on the Shawshank Redemption, but I, it's one of my all time favorite movies. And I, I just, I can't see their perspective when they raise their arguments about it not being a good movie. I just can't see it. So I, I think it might be a case of just oversaturation. I feel like anytime, anywhere, somewhere, Shawshank Redemption is on TV. <laughs> it's not an unfair argument. <laughs> so I have to ask, because you said writing professor, um, I, I'm assuming you're familiar with Stephen King's book on writing? Yes, that was actually required reading in graduate school. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. I mean, he, he just... He he knows how to tell a story in his books, but he also knows how to tell how to tell a story. Yeah, and that's hard, you know, because it's it's obvious that he knows the craft of writing so well that he can dumb it down, you know, for somebody to to actually understand the the process. Um, right, and that's that's key to knowing something. You know, how well do you know something if you can't teach somebody how to do it? Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of writers out there who aren't able to do that. You know, they, they know how they write, but they're not able to communicate that to someone else. So yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. All right. So the podcast is have not seen this. Uh, the idea being, you know, bringing discussing a movie that we're surprised when someone hasn't seen, what are your have not seen this movies? What are movies your friends or family or whatever give you a hard time over not having seen? Um, I have not seen a lot of I love classic movies, but I have not seen uh, Citizen Kane. Uh huh. I have not seen any of the recent Star Wars movies. Okay. But I think I think the one that uh, actually, you know what? I, I literally just rectified this the other day. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I had not seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest until the other day. Now, did you watch that because of Ratchet coming out? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm in that same boat. I still have not seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One of my favorite podcasts just covered it. And I'm listening to their conversation about it going, why have I still not seen this movie? And then also seeing Ratchet is coming out. I was like, I've got to see it before I try watching this Sarah Paulson show, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know, because obviously, you know, like Ratchet is one of those, it's, it's become part of culture, you know, for somebody who's just, you know, over overly uh mean and domineering uh you know as a woman you know oh she's that's like she's like nurse ratchet you know people say that and i watched one flew over the cuckoo's nest and like truthfully i didn't see it like i didn't think she was that bad interesting okay See, I know Louise Fletcher from like Star Trek Deep Space yeah. 9, so I really want to see Cuckoo's Nest 
to to build that you know her as a performer but i just still haven't watched it and it's on like every streaming service i have mm-hmm. i just have to sit down and press play and i just haven't done it yeah i think you should if if for nothing else other than like baby danny devito <laughs> i forget he's in that that's he's right he's adorable he's absolutely adorable all right well switching <laughs> gears from shawshank redemption stephen <laughs> king and one flew over the cuckoo's nest the movie you brought for us to discuss this week is uhf from 1989 written by weird al yankovic and jay levy directed by jay levy and starring weird al yankovic david bow victoria jackson kevin mccarthy and michael richards Channel 62 has the lowest ratings in the history of television. What they need is a new station manager. No, not him. Forget it. No way. A man of action. A man of courage. A man of vision. What's your name? Billy. Billy what? What they get is a man so desperate, he'll put anyone on the air. Hey, Stanley. Yeah, George. How would you like your own TV show? Okay. You get the drink from the fire hose! Okay, you ready? Fire! Open wide! He's Conan, the librarian. Today, we're teaching poodles how to fly. We beat up the networks. George Newman, he starts where the others stop. We're the number one station in town. Pictures presents Weird Al Yankovic in UHF, the movie. Yeah, quite a quite a change from the movies we've been discussing. Oh, <laughs> quite a change. And I actually um, also I feel like needs to be mentioned on that list um, is Fran Drescher. Yes. Yeah. I, I I couldn't figure out where to draw the line as far as what actors to include and, and exclude, because there's so many iconic comedians who weren't there yet in this movie. Like this is like a, almost a who's who of who's going to make it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So starting out, how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? How do you sell them on wanting to see this movie? Uh, well, first I probably, I, I usually start, uh, by trying to sell them on Weird Al in general. Uh, but if I'm trying to sell this movie, I, I basically sell it as a, do you want to feel like you're 12 years old and just laugh for an hour and a half? Then watch this. Because I feel like every time I watch it, I feel like a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a hard time. I've tried. I've tried to put on my, okay, I'm an adult. I teach at a university. I'm going to watch this with a with an analytical lens. But then I sit down <laughs> and I watch it and I just laugh. And I've seen it so many times. I start, you know, talking along with it, you know, saying the lines as they happen and just just laughing, you know. And I feel like it's it's one of those movies that it's easier to sell to people if they have children in that age range to watch it. We just on, on my show did an episode that. Uh, is, is coming out on Weird Al's birthday. And oh, okay. So I'm not sure when this is coming out, but Weird Al's birthday is October 23rd. So right. we did an episode that's coming out on October 23rd where we just kind of talked about UHF and we ate uh, Twinkie Wiener sandwiches. I, that's, <clears throat> boy, you're jumping ahead, but that's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that. Have you tried, so you have tried drink Twinkie Wiener sandwiches? Yes. I, I, I have had one. And what did you think? Um, It was not great. 
<laughs> but I've also eaten worse things. So there's another, it, it wasn't a theatrical movie, but there was a, a video collection called The Complete Al, mm -hmm. uh, which featured a lot of his music videos at the time and then some of his appearances on MTV. And in one of those, he made another Twinkie-related dish that was um, ice cream, carrots, Twinkies, and mustard on whole wheat bread. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I have tried both of these. I have eaten both of these things. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, the Twinkie Wiener sandwich, I didn't do it with, uh, I, I forgot the cheese. I didn't oh. do it with the, the, the spray can of cheese. Uh, I did it with mustard. It, was, it wasn't bad. The other one, the consistency when you have ice cream and carrots is just terrible. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, that, that does sound bad. That sounds really bad. Uh, so were they, oh, God, like, were they, were they raw carrots? <laughs> Uh, yes, I used raw carrots. Okay, I, I, uh, th that might have been where you went wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like in my teens, so I didn't think it through all the way. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, maybe if you at least steamed, but I think a good hard boil on those carrots to make them soft, and you can kind of mush them around in the ice cream a bit. Uh, I could see that not being so uh, jarring as far as texture goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was reading trivia where Weird Al said he had to eat seven of the Twinkie Wiener sandwiches over the, you know, the, the multiple takes that they had to do to get the scene and uh, never wanted to have one again and eventually became vegetarian. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that's probably why he became vegetarian. And, you know, in the movie, he dunks it in milk. Uh, yes, which to me just makes it worse. <laughs> I, I didn't do that. I mean, I had the Twinkie. I had a, I had an Angus beef hot dog. and <laughs> So you went high quality for this. I, I did. I went as high quality as I could. And I got a, a spray cheese, but I didn't get easy cheese. I went a level up with the spray cheese and I got a Wisconsin sharp cheddar spray cheese. So you did the gourmet Twinkie Wiener sandwich. I did. I did do a gourmet Twinkie Wiener sandwich. Now, I, I did just cook the hot dog in, you know, in a pan. Um, my, right. my brother, he actually went and he grilled his, but he got a, a long, like, bun length hot dog and he ended up needing to use two Twinkies. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have to ask, is this... Because you said you started your podcast, you know, in the coronavirus times here. Is, is this trying this? Was this also coronavirus times or is this going back farther? Uh, no, this was, was uh, we just kind of did it because we're like, all right, we're going to talk about UHF. It's Weird Al's birthday. Let's just eat this sandwich. <laughs> you know? And on my show, you know, we talk about beer, too. So we also always have a beer when we're when we're doing our, our show. So ha having the, the beer to kind of wash it down um, helped. <laughs> I'm sure. All right. So I have to ask what, what or, or is this going to be a, we have to tune into your podcast to find out, but what kind of beer did you pair this with? Oh gosh. You know, I, I honestly don't remember. Okay. Uh, it was, I, I don't know what specific one it was. I do mention that on my show, but it was, it was definitely an IPA. Okay. It was not, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm not an IPA fan. So that's, that's, it's an acquired taste. Um, <laughs> and I, I have acquired that taste. So, you know, there's, but gotcha. if it makes you feel any better, right now I'm actually enjoying a uh, a, a blackberry cider. So oh, there we go. That sounds that sounds wonderful. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It's delicious. I figured. You know, it's it's early in the day. I'll have a cider. <laughs> I should have gotten a cider before I hit record. That's what my show needs. It needs me drinking more. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I will tell you this much. Um, my brother and I 
definitely have an excellent time on our show. Uh, but it's very difficult if we forget to mention something that would have made a little more uh, sequential sense in the beginning of an episode. But if we remember and we say it at the end, I can't edit it to be earlier because we sound different. <laughs> All right, so what is your history with UHF? Because you you were definitely not old enough to go see this in the theater in 1989. No, no. Um, and, you know, truthfully, not too many people went to see UHF in the theater in 1989. No. My, my history basically is, uh, it was 1996 when Weird Al's uh, Bad Hair Day album came out. That was the soundtrack to our summer that year. You know, my brother and I, we would <laughs> hang out in the pool and we had like one of those big boom boxes and we listened to Bad Hair Day, you know, ad nauseum. We just listened to it every single day. The neighbors must have hated us because we played it loud outside. And, you know, then we started working our way back through Weird Al's back catalog, you know. So, you know, anytime we'd scrounge up enough allowance money we'd we'd get another weird al cd and then we i think it was our dad who said you know he's got a movie and we were like what he's got a movie <laughs> and so we we watched it and laughed our butts off cuz i mean i was i was 11 or 12 and my brother was you know 9 or 10 and we were like right in that age bracket where it's hilarious yes and so that's that's pretty much it and I, I make a point to watch UHF probably at least once a year. Just it's it's not one of those movies that I'll let years go by between viewings. Interesting. Okay. For for me, I was old enough to go see it in theaters. And it's it's funny that you mention it, you know, not a lot of people saw it because I did go see it and I remember wanting to to wanting my family to go see it. Like I saw it and I had such a good time. And again, I was totally keyed into Weird Al's uh, aesthetic, you know, that his, his line of comedy was, was perfect for me. So I saw the movie. I loved it. I wanted my family to go see it. And we went like the next weekend or the, or two weeks later, I can't remember which, but it was gone. It was out of theaters already. Like that's how fast it turned around. It was, it did not do well at the box office at all. No, no, it, it really, really didn't. And I think, well, the summer, the summer of 89, there were a lot of big movies coming out. Right. So it was, it was a, a small fish in a very large pond. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I loved it. Um, I, I know I owned it on VHS uh, when it came out, but I don't think I've revisited this movie in a good, at least a decade, if not closer to 15 years. But what I found particularly interesting watching this last night to prepare for the, you know, recording this with you today is I always take notes when I watch the movie, you know, little, little tidbits that I want to make sure I remember, uh, you know, lines that stuck out, stuck out to me, you know, that kind of thing. And for a normal movie, I'll fill a page from my notebook. You know, it usually will drift onto the back a little bit. Some movies, it might be, you know, a page and a half. I have a half a page of notes on this movie. And the reason for that is because it's still in my brain. Like I was astonished at how many lines of dialogue and comedic beats and all of that, that I was saying along with the movie, even though it's been over a decade since I've seen it, it's just, that's how in, enamored I was of the movie back then, that it is still taking up space in my brain that probably should be put to a better use. <laughs> no, this is the best use for that space in your brain. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I'm 100% with you on there. I mean, I, not, I can't 
cook a meal that requires a spatula. (laughs) That was, that was one of the commercials I was line for line with spatula city, spatula city, (laughs) spatula city. Yes. What better way to say I love you than with the gift of a spatula. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually wearing my spatula city t-shirt right now. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I, I needed to, you know, get in that space to talk about this movie. So I've got my spatula city t-shirt on. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I can't cook with a spatula without, uh, sometimes I do it out loud, which is, which is weird, but I'll grab the spatula and I think spatula city and it's, it's, yeah, this movie has so many little things that just take up space in your brain. And I wish more people had seen this movie because I would be a lot funnier if more people got the things I was saying. <laughs> Um, (laughs) meaning uh you know down here in in florida um people are really into into fishing you know and like the ocean fishing and things like that and uh, (laughs) we there's like two or three weekends at some point in the summer where it's it's red snapper season you know and so then my entire facebook feed for you know two or three weeks is people posing with these red snapper that they've caught and I, I, every single time I go, mm, red snapper, very tasty. And <laughs> everybody's like, um, after I fillet it, do you want some? I'm like, no, no, it's, it's a line. <laughs> Come on people. You know, <laughs> you know, that bothers me. So I have to tell people, no, it's from the movie UHF. Please go watch it and remember this for next year. So I don't have to explain it to you again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not only did it not perform well at the box office, but it didn't receive the most positive of uh, movie reviews. It sits at 64% at Rotten Tomatoes with a 77% audience score. So audiences liked it more than critics did. It only sits at 32% at Metacritic. So it's it's uh, not very positive, but I pulled in a positive and negative review. The positive uh, I, was a hard one to find, but I went with uh, Real Film Reviews, David Nusser, who writes, Upon its theatrical release, UHF received almost unanimous bad reviews. In the years that followed, though, with video and cable airings, the film eventually wound up with a strong cult following, and with good reason. The majority of similar silly comedies start out strong, but invariably run out of steam and out of funny jokes. UHF, on the other hand, manages to remain humorous and, more importantly, entertaining all the way through. A lot of the credit for that goes to Yankovic. Though he'll never be entered into the canon of all-time great performances, he does manage to take this character and make him incredibly likable. While the majority of the film is devoted to wacky parodies, the underlying storyline follows George's dogged determination to see his station succeed and desperate attempts in winning back the love of his life. (laughs) (laughs) The negative review comes from the only professional review that's listed on Rotten Tomatoes, who is, of course, my favorite critic to use, Roger Ebert. Yeah, this is bad. Have you read this review? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to go a little long on this part because it's, it, again, it's one of those times where Ebert's words are so well-crafted. So a, a couple of excerpts from his review. Uh, somewhere there is an audience for UHF, I have no doubt. And somewhere this weekend, someone may laugh at some of its attempts at humor. Weird Al Yankovic has a lot of success with his parodies, songs, and music videos spinning off Michael Jackson and other easy targets. But this is the dreariest comedy in many a month, a depressing slog through recycled comic formulas. Those who laugh at UHF should inspire our admiration. 
In these dreary times, we must treasure the easily amused. And then later he writes, as movie ideas go, this isn't a bad one. But Yankovic is so happy to have a laugh, any laugh, that he forgets that discipline is a key element in comedy. When anything goes, nothing is funny. The great movie comedies work by establishing the rules in their universes and then testing them. In the case of UHF, for example, Yankovic should have decided if he wanted to string together a series of TV parodies or make a movie about the rescue of a fly-by-night TV station. He has decided to do both, and so the movie alternates uneasily between the storyline, which involves the fate of the station, and a lot of self-contained parodies that do not share the same reality as the rest of the film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so your thoughts? Uh, I mean, first of all, you're right. That is a really well-written review, but... Um wrong uh (laughs) (laughs) and i i think okay so you you take that line you know where he says it's it's establishing the rules and then testing them i i would argue that um as far as uhf goes there are no rules and that's kind of the point um so there are no rules to test because no rules exist. Literally anything can happen. I mean, you have to suspend so much disbelief when you're watching this movie, okay? The, the plot, okay, well, it's it's there. It's loose. Some things just straight up don't make sense. Like, uh, how does Uncle Harvey all of a sudden owe $75,000? Like, right. why? How do, you, how do you not know? Like, you, you can't just... Uh, that doesn't make sense. So I'm like, okay, well, whatever. They needed to establish some kind of a, a problem. Okay. And then Philo. Yes. <laughs> All right. He, he basically is uh, like the personification of deus ex machina. I love that you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> because it's true. Okay. He's there. He's the reason they have the the recording of, you know, RJ Fletcher saying all the stuff that he said. He's he's basically the reason why the the favor switches, you know, from the the big the big station over to U62. But he's an alien and as soon as his job is done, he disappears. So it's like, okay, you know what? I don't care. I don't care that it doesn't make sense because I feel like, how do I want to put this? Like, it doesn't have to, like, it just doesn't have to make sense because Weird Al doesn't make sense, but it's like, I'm trying to put this together coherently because again, I just love it so much. And even though Roger Ebert was, was very eloquent, I'm just... Every time I hear that review, I get mad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would argue, I I think he has the wrong idea. I I mean, I think he has the right idea, but the wrong target. I don't think there's absolutely anything wrong with the the narrative following George as he's trying to, you know, make this TV station successful, but sprinkling in the parodies. I think that's a wonderful juxtaposition and keeps the comedy fresh as the movie's moving forward. I do think they should have chosen between a Walter Mitty-esque story, which Mm. is how the movie begins. And then midway through, it becomes a let's put on a show to save the station story, you know? Uh, And and that's when, as you said, Uncle Harvey suddenly has financial problems out of the blue. And so that changes the narrative into a different type of story for the second half of the movie. And I I do kind of wish they had stuck with one or the other Partially because I I felt like they deviated away from his Walter Mitty-esque fantasies that were a lot of fun. 
like that the the movie opens with a Raiders of the Lost Ark parody. Yeah. Which frankly is where half of their budget had to go to that first 10 minutes. Like <laughs> I was looking at it last night going, I cannot believe the amount of money they put into creating this Raiders of the Lost Ark parody. Yeah, yeah, that's Yeah, you're right. You're right. It, that's I mean, it looks so much like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, but there's so much funny about it. Oh yeah. Like oh, yeah. Uh, when he gets he gets to the end and it's it's an Academy Award sitting on on the pedestal and he's got the sandbag and he's doing the weighing thing and then he just decides like I'll oh, screw it I don't need the sandbag I'm just gonna take it and run yeah like brilliant and there's so many little things I think that you don't catch when you're a kid that you catch later on uh, yeah in the, in this movie especially if you weren't old enough. You know, when when I saw this movie, I think I had already seen Raiders. But if this is like I, I had talked about wanting to show this to my son when I revisited it. And unfortunately, the schedule didn't work out. But if I showed this to him, he hasn't seen Raiders. So he's going to miss some of the humor in that parody. He hasn't seen Rambo. So he's going to miss some of the humor in that parody. But I still think he'll find it funny. Yeah, because it's, it's just funny without having all of the references. OK, like I didn't have any frame of reference for uh, Gandhi 2. <laughs> okay. But I still found it hilarious. Yeah. You know, Cause I didn't, I didn't know that there was a movie called Gandhi <laughs> and I didn't know that it was this big, serious movie about Gandhi. I just was like, okay, you know? And then of course, later on, there's that line in Gandhi 2. I'll have a steak, medium rare. <laughs> right. Which, <laughs> It's just a line until you realize, oh, it's a cow. Right. And like, oh, that's really, really, really funny. Yeah. I mean, and and that's just it is I think this movie works with subsequent viewings because as you become more aware of that, you know, bank of cultural knowledge, as you become exposed to Gandhi or Raiders of the Lost Ark or any Conan the Barbarian, then suddenly the jokes not only work on a surface level where you're just watching something silly, but suddenly you get the depth of the parody. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of those movies, just like how a lot of Disney films, you know, it's one way for kids, but then adults pick out more. Uh, right. UHF is is very much the same in that regard because there's just some things that you you don't get the first time, uh, and then you you know just like you said you know as your knowledge bank grows, the, the movie just gets funnier and funnier and funnier. And I think for me anyway, it's that good balance between laughing like I'm a kid again and looking for things that I've missed when I've watched it before. <laughs> yeah which uh you know i mean that's that certainly has that so I, I i disagree with with ebert's take on it um but i do wish that they had stuck more with the walter mitty-esque side of it because i enjoyed the fantasies and i guess those get replaced with the tv shows and the, the commercials and that kind of stuff but for me i like the fantasies more and there's only, what, three of them in the movie, but they're still, because they allow them to go deeper with the level of parody of the original content. Yeah, no, I I, I would tend to agree with you there, because what the fantasies are, uh, the Raiders fantasy, um, the Rambo fantasy, and the um, the Beverly Hillbillies music video. Right. And, right. The, and then the tiny little gone with the wind at the end. Right, right, right. Then the tiny little gone with the wind at the end. Yeah, and I think, you know... Weird Al's George in this movie for being portrayed by Weird Al is probably the, the straight man of the film. 
Yeah, I mean, and I mean, some of the the straight man expressions he gives is where some of the humor comes from. Some of his shock and just dismay at what's going on around him. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's interesting, you know, because he's definitely the, you know, the weirdest one uh, as far as you know being a. This movie came out of his brain. So, anyway, <laughs> the fact that he's playing kind of the guy with, a, a, he's trying to like wrangle in a lot of the crazy that's going on at the station. Um, that's a really interesting role for Weird Al to play. But I feel like, uh, you know, to your point, the the fantasies and the daydreams kind of give you an idea of who this this George guy really is. And I think kind of having that little glimpse into his brain, because much like Weird Al, he's somebody who is so immersed in pop culture that that's automatically where his brain goes. Uh, you know, Weird Al has uh, been known to call himself a pop culture Cuisinart. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, seeing George's daydreams really illustrates that. It's like, okay, my brain is just full of pop culture. So let me think through this event that's happening in my life, but I have to do it through this pop culture lens. But one of the things I find interesting, I mean, not to deviate from UHF as a movie, but one of the things I find interesting about Weird Al is, you know, this movie is 1989. His career had easily been going for, you know, years before this. We're now talking about it in 2020. Mm-hmm. So you've got a, let's say, a 35, 40 year span here. And there's been no controversy surrounding Weird Al. No, because he's he's um, he's the perfect human. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's a that's a really excellent point. And I think I think that just that just speaks to, you know, first of all, Weird Al is funny without being dirty. He's funny without being vulgar, but he's he's subversive without crossing the line. And. I, so I think the fact that there has been have been no no controversies surrounding Weird Al just kind of speaks to the type of you know a the type of person that he is, but b the the type of of humor that he he represents. You know, yeah. he's he's good, but in a way that makes you laugh and also makes you think, and then also makes you go, "Oh, I see what you did there." Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, he really is a genuinely great person. I I had the privilege of uh, attending a Weird Al VIP meet and greet experience after a concert last year. Oh, and you know it it was a big it was a, this big ordeal you know so because there, there's probably you know 200 people that have the VIP ticket so you you don't get to talk to him for very long but I had uh, all this in my brain that I wanted to say to him because he's meant so much to me like he's my hero and I get up to him my eyes like begin to well up and I I can't say anything. And weird Al actually looked at me and he goes, are you okay? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I just love you so much. And then I got my autograph of my picture and and that was it. But I, I, I just, I can sleep well at night knowing that for like a fleeting moment in time, Weird Al was concerned about my well-being. <laughs> oh, that's that's wonderful. <laughs> Hello. 
Hello friends, we are the Ladies of Strange. I'm Ashley. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Rebecca. Have you ever wondered if Jenny's head really did fall off when they removed the green ribbon? Or if aliens are hiding in the tales of comets waiting to take us away? Or if there's any scientific basis to the Ouija board? Well then don't risk your search history and join us each Thursday as we discuss the history, mystery, and theory of all things questionable, odd, and eerie. New episodes are released every Thursday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. More information about the show, including show notes and links to our social media, can be found on our website, theladiesestrange.com. Keep it strange, lovelies. So you said your introduction to Weird Al was around Bad Hair Day, and I, I, off the top of my head, I don't remember. Was that pre-makeover, or was that after his makeover? That was the last album uh, before the makeover. The makeover okay. occurred for uh, Running With Scissors in 99, Bad Hair Day in right. 96. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's I knew it was it started with Running With Scissors. I just couldn't remember the order of the movies. So that was one of the things that surprised me, you know, watching this is I had forgotten what his original look was you know the hawaiian t-shirts and the big poofy hair and the glasses uh you know because i've gotten so used to you know weird al 2.0 if you will yeah yeah and it's it's crazy to think that he's been weird al 2.0 longer than he would i guess just as long as far as his career is goes it's basically 50 50 he spent the first 20 years with the glasses the hair and the mustache and this you know these past 20 years without yeah well, let's talk about some of the uh, other performers in this, because, you know, as I, I listed some of them in the cast and, and you even injected the you know ones that I had forgotten. But there's so many people in this. So we've got Michael Richards, pre-Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. We've got Fran Drescher, pre-The Nanny. Yeah. You've got Victoria Jackson, who is probably uh, at her height right now with Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just those three alone. Yeah, it's it's quite the it's quite the cast. Um, and I, we have to talk about Michael Richards as Stanley Spadowski because okay. that he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's such an incredibly likable character. You know, he's like this, this overgrown child that is just the, the epitome of, of innocence. And just, he's so pure of spirit that you can't help but root for him, you know, uh, towards the end of the movie, when he gets abducted by Fletcher's goons, um, he's basically oblivious to what is actually, you know, happening to him. And he is, uh, what they're, I think they're trying to play cards or something while they're, while they're holding yep. him hostage. And he's just so annoying to them, but he's, he's not annoying to watch be annoying to them. Right. Right. Uh, and I do want, let me inject real quick. The the head thug was played by David Provol, who also then went on to fame with a role in The Sopranos, among other things. Um, but yeah, I mean, he does have that childlike quality to him that even when he's grating other people's nerves, he's not annoying to us as the audience. Like, we can't help but really like him. Yeah, and it, he's absolutely 
so 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 good in this and it's it's crazy because i i had you know been familiar with seinfeld i think before i yeah definitely before i watched uhf so my upon first viewing it was like oh my god that's kramer you know but stanley spadowski is so different from kramer um yes because kramer is not pure of spirit Uh, (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) it's true and i kind of love what the stanley spadowski character sort of does for um, weird al's george you know um uh, after terry breaks up with george he tries to go and do this this kids tv show so at uncle nutsy's clubhouse right and he's upset and he's miserable and he's basically yelling at the the children who are obviously begrudgingly there in the audience and he just gives up and he's so casually he was like hey stanley you want your own tv show and stanley's like well okay and then this this is the best part for me it's do i still get to be the janitor that's exactly what i was going to say is when he comes back from doing the tv show and george is like do you want to do that how would you feel like doing that every day and his response is oh yeah wait i still get to be janitor right you know, yeah. that he, it's the part he doesn't want to lose. Right. Because that mop, man, the mop means everything to him. And there's that, <laughs> that speech, you know, these floors are dirty as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And sometimes a mop's just not enough. And sometimes you got to get down in your hands and knees with a toothbrush and just scrub and scrub. And I'll tell you what, sometimes it, like if you ever really need to just get like hyped up, get yourself a clip of that, like Stanley Spadowski cleaning the floor speech. And you're like, yeah, you know what? I can do this might not be easy, but I can do this, you know? And I think that that's a turning point for George, you know, cause he's so upset and he's drinking his, what, what is it? A blueberry colada? A blueberry daiquiri. Yeah. Blueberry daiquiri. His first, his first drink. Cause he his doesn't drink until that point. Right. It's a, a blueberry daiquiri and the way he says it like so seriously. Yeah, that's right. And, and then he sees this speech and he kind of takes this, or, you know, his girlfriend left him. The station's not doing so great. And that speech kind of, was the turning point in the movie too, where all of a sudden you have all these wild shows that are coming on um, from, you know, Weird Al's ragtag group of friends and acquaintances and things start turning around because Stanley was like, no, sometimes there might be hair in that mop, but you just got to pull it out and then wring it out and like start all over again. And it's beautiful in its weird way. Well, and it's and it's one of those moments. I, I totally agree with you, but it's also one of those moments that emphasizes something you said earlier, which is if you don't know the movie network, you don't get that that's a riff on the I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore speech. Right. So it stands alone as this really nice moment in this movie. And then later you see network and you realize, oh, this works on this whole other level that it was actually parodying this, but with kinder sentiment. Yes. Much, much kinder sentiment. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's so great in so, so, so many ways. Yeah. So Victoria Jackson plays the girlfriend who, who, as I said, was probably riding the high point of her Saturday Night Live career at this point because she did not really go on to do much of anything after she left SNL. No. Um, She posited that she thinks she and Fran Drescher got the jobs because of their voices, because they both do have very unique voices. Uh, and and I got to be honest, Victoria Jackson's always kind of graded me the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, and I get that. You know, it's one of those things. Uh, you can't really help your voice necessarily. Right. <laughs> so it's not necessarily her fault, but I think her having that voice really, really did work in this movie. Because first of all, 
Victoria Jackson's character is too good looking for George, but then she <laughs> has that voice and you're like, okay. <laughs> I never thought of it like that. <laughs> I do love Fran Drescher in this movie from the get go where she's the receptionist and they come in and introduce themselves as the new management. And she goes off on them with this wonderful speech about how it's hard to be taken seriously as an aspiring news person when your boss changes every week. And I loved that moment for her. Yeah, it was so, so great for her. Um, and yeah, her voice definitely helped with that, too, because, you know, she's a receptionist and she's an aspiring newscaster. But seriously, a newscaster with that voice. With that voice. Right, and then right. um, I can't remember who played him, but her cameraman. Billy Barty. Billy Barty. Uh, he's so small. And the angles that he had, it's just so funny, you know, to have yes. this little person be the cameraman for Fran Drescher, where, you know, he's he's like, you know, three feet tall and she's a, you know, not a short woman. And oh, it's just so great. Like that terrible, unflattering, like low angle that she has to work with. And, and, and yet that. another movie might have played that crudely. Like, you know, thrown in an upskirt shot or something like that as, mm -hmm. you know, he can't do any better or something. And this movie refrains from that. I mean, it it really is kind of a more wholesome comedy. Yes, it, it's 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 wholesome in, in so many ways. It's not mean to anybody. And, you know, people might argue that um, Cooney, the karate instructor. Yes. That's uh, uh, Getty Watanabe, right? Watanabe, yeah. Watanabe, yeah. That's a little, I mean, it's a little, you know type typecast right to have you know the asian guy play a, a karate instructor with you know a thick accent right but nobody is making fun of him yeah he is making fun of everybody else that's true you know because anytime anybody does anything stupid you're so stupid and i think that flips the whole you know kind of having that actor in a somewhat stereotypical role it flips it on its head and it makes it not what you initially thought it might be because he is so in control. Yeah. I mean, if he had turned around and delivered some um, nugget of wisdom, you know, that would have gone farther into the stereotype, but instead for him to be confident and critical of everyone else is, is kind of where the comedy comes from. Yeah. And I mean, they, they, they do have that one moment, which, you know, when he comes out of the supply closet and he goes supplies, that's a little cringy, a little cringy. But, you know, at the same time, I get the joke. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and he's there to save the day in a very competent way. Well, if you don't get the joke, it's listed on IMDb trivia. It spells out the joke, which I was like, this is not trivia. This is explaining a joke. How did this get on here? <laughs> that I, is I wish I was kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a little that's a shame. So one performance we haven't talked about, and I want to make sure we get before we run out of time is mm -hmm. Kevin McCarthy. Um, as, as RJ Reynolds, Fletcher. The, the, RJ Fletcher. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. RJ Fletcher, the bad guy of the movie. And I, I, I think his career is so fascinating that, you know, you go back to the black and white, he was in, you know, the original invasion of the body snatchers. Yep. And here he is, all he lacks is a mustache to twirl. <laughs> yes, pretty much, pretty much. Um, it's so, I, I don't know how much backstory you, you've read about this, but apparently he was having so much fun doing this movie and being that character that as soon as they stopped rolling after every take, he would crack up. 
Well, and I don't doubt it. I mean, that's, I think that's part of what the, makes the character fun is that it, it's very obvious he's having fun playing it. Yeah. So you it, know, yeah, he's a it. jerk, but there is an enjoyment in performing that jerk, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely like that over-the-top, you know, corporate greed kind of jerk. And it, it's you're right. It's like cartoon villain level jerk. Yeah. And it, it also gives us my favorite joke in the entire movie, which is when he's on the tirade about being beaten by the UHF station. And if RJ Fletcher senior were here today, well, you know, we're, we're alive today. What would he be saying? And the son goes, help, help. Let me out of this box. I can't breathe. <laughs> which I just have always loved that joke for no reason whatsoever. It, yeah, you're right. And like, that's like one of the few jokes that, that comes from a, a different source. You know, it's from the bad guys. It's the bad guys making a joke. And yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. I absolutely love that joke. And I love that character. And I kind of love how it's so easy to dislike everybody at that TV station. You know, yes, it, they make it very easy. But at the same time, you can hate them, but you're also kind of laughing at, at what they're doing and the way that they're that they're doing it. I think it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I do have one that I feel like I need to talk about. Sure. Emo Phillips, the shop teacher. Yes. Who's one of Weird Al? Weird Al's good friends, which yeah. is part of why he he has a role in this movie, and they continue to be good friends, as to my knowledge. Yes, they are. I actually saw um, I saw Weird Al's um, the ridiculously self self indulgent, ill advised vanity tour a couple years ago, and Emo Phillips was actually the opening act. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, he did you know a comedy bit in the beginning there, but um, yeah, Emo Phillips, he's the shop teacher. And he's doing a bit, you know, just kind of explaining what he does, you know, as one of these live TV shows. And he cuts off his thumb. And then he's so calm about it. Call me Mr. Butterfingers. <laughs> my my favorite mode of that scene is before he cuts the thumb off when he's, you know, I'll show you how to use one of these. And he pauses and George throws in table saw. And he, he, when he when he mouths at George in that mocking manner about you know that I love that joke for no reason whatsoever. It's because it's fantastic. That's what there's no reason to like so many of these things. Um, Raul's Wild Kingdom. Oh my God, with Trinidad Silva, yeah, yeah. He actually passed away during the the filming of UHF. Yeah, it's dedicated um, to him in the end credits. Yeah, yeah, and so because apparently there there was supposed to be more of Raul during the uh, the telethon at the end, but obviously, you know, but for the two brief times he is on TV, you you get so many nuggets of gold. And again, speaking to what we were talking about before, like not getting the joke until you get the joke. Uh, badgers, badgers, we don't need no stinking badgers. <laughs> right. The reference to Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Right. And it's like, oh, uh, seriously, for the longest time, I thought it was badgers until my dad goes like, no, that's from something like real. I said, yeah. oh, 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 OK. And so, you know, then I got it. Um but yeah, I mean, he's so brilliant in that. Turtles are nature's suction cups. Oh my God. That I that was a part I had forgotten about from, you know, not having seen the movie for so long. So I was cackling at that. It's so funny. So the only part that, that gets me as a dog lover is when he throws the poodles out the window to try and teach them how to fly. But you have to love his little dejected, oh man. I <laughs> 
Like he really is expecting it to work. And when it doesn't, oh man. <laughs> I mean, uh, the amount of defenestration in this movie is is ridiculous. The poodles go flying out the window. Cooney's students go flying out the window. There's <laughs> so many things and people and, you know, living things falling out of windows in this film. Yeah. Even at the beginning, Edna, big Edna, when she throws uh, Bob and George out, when she fires them. Yes. Throwing them. It's got to be a good 30, 40 feet in the air. Like that, that can only be explained by like cartoon physics. Yeah. Which again, suspend your disbelief, Roger Ebert. None of this has to make sense. <laughs> I was just about to say, I think that goes back to negating the original review. Like he's looking for the 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 rules and and this it doesn't have to have them it just doesn't it's it's a a live action cartoon i think that's a great way of putting it and basically you know when like when when george goes to the party and he sees his aunt and she she tugs on his cheek and his skin stretches out like six inches yeah like okay you know well and like the the stanley spadowski's clubhouse when the kid finds the marble in the oatmeal and so he gets to drink from the water hose and you watch that and i have to admit for one second my adult brain when watching that he gets shot off the horse by the power of the the fire hose yeah for a second my adult brain went well that's the end of that show because that's going to be a lawsuit and then my young brain went shut up that's not the point of this movie it's not that kind of a movie nobody actually got hurt you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a live action cartoon. I think I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think that's a really good way to sum this up. And I think moving forward, if I have to sell somebody on this movie, that's how I'm going to do it. Fantastic. All right. Uh, we're running out of time. Anything else you wanted to talk about, about UHF that we have not addressed yet? I think we had addressed a good chunk of <laughs> UHF. Um, and, and seriously, I feel like it's one of those movies everybody just needs to watch at least once. And if you don't like it, fine. Like, don't watch it again. But I feel like watching this movie and just laughing for a solid hour and a half or so just will make you, like, a better person. (laughs) (laughs) I realize that's a lot to put on a movie. Watch UHF and you'll be a better person. (laughs) You'll feel better. You'll feel better. And I, I know, like, whenever I watch it, uh, you know, I laugh, I'll, you know, if I watch it at night, like I'll have a great night's sleep and I'll wake up the next day and I'm like, yeah, this is this is good. Because like you're not thinking too hard. You're just laughing at absurdity. And I think there's so much real scary absurdity happening in the world right now that to have some light, like fake absurdity where things work out in the end for the people that they're supposed to work out for. Uh, it's something we could all kind of use. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, before we're done, we've got a couple of short little games. Uh, First up, we have The Algorithm Says. This is a list of movies various algorithms say you will like because you like UHF. Uh, So this is like a lightning round of your responses. Do you like these movies? Do you not like these movies? Do you not know them? Have you not seen them? Do you wonder how the hell they're connected? That kind of thing. Cool. All right. So first up, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Absolutely love it. Now, actually, all three movies showed up on the algorithm, but I just picked the first one. Have you seen the most recent one yet? I have not seen it yeah. yet. My, my brother has, and I, I'm waiting until I have the time to rewatch the, the first two. Um, but yeah, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was a movie that my brother and I watched. Uh, we, I think we wore out a VHS copy of that. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> all right. Airheads. Um, I think I saw it once. I'm... Uh, I remember not hating it, but not high on my list. 
Okay. I, I mean, I can see the connection because in that they're taking over a radio station and this is a, pol- a, a television station. Yeah. So I, I see the connection. There. I get it. All right. Top Secret. Top Secret. I it don't... is a Val Kilmer early 80s movie. Oh, no. I, I haven't seen that. Okay. Cabin Boy. I have not heard of that. Oh, I think, I mean, now it's a bad movie. Don't get me wrong. Okay. It is a bad movie, but it's Chris Elliott. Um, it, it is the the only movie that I'm aware of where David Letterman has a an acting role in it. Oh, wow. And it's like one scene and he brought it up for years on late night. Okay. But it's it's a bad movie. I will say that, but it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's okay. I don't mind a movie being bad. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Strange Brew. Um, oh, oh, yes. I like that movie. Yes. Yeah. The the McKenzie brothers, yes. I guess. Yeah. A couple yeah. of Hoziers. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. All right. Next one I know you're going to have strong feelings about. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, absolutely love Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And now, and can, can I just really quickly, a uh, little fun fact, the, um, the claymation artist that did um, Philo at the end of UHF is the same claymation artist that did... Um, uh, 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 a large, large, large march. march, right? Yeah, yeah. I wondered if that was the case because to me, that's the connection between the two movies. Yeah. <laughs> now, as an as a English professor, I, I have to ask if you put any stock in Pee Wee's Big Adventure following the same framework as Rime of the Ancient Mariner. Oh, I had not thought of that. <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah, one of my uh, undergraduate professors brought that up when I was studying English. So. I- I'm a little, I'm a little mind blown right now. Like I'm, I'm like that emoji. Uh, <laughs> wow. All right. Moving on. Uh, repossessed. I don't think I've seen that. Okay. It's Leslie Nielsen and Linda Blair in an exorcist kind of parody. Oh, okay. Well, I haven't seen that, but I would absolutely love that. I'm sure. Yeah. Fletch lives. Fletch. Oh, uh, that's uh, the Chevy Chase, right? Is the sequel to Fletch. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I've seen Fletch and I like that. Yeah. We, we covered Fletch in an episode and that was my first time ever seeing that movie. So I certainly haven't seen the sequel yet, but uh, I enjoyed Fletch. So I may have to check it out. Uh, all right. Spies Like Us. No, I haven't seen that. Okay. And lastly, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh God. I have seen that. Um... <laughs> that doesn't sound very positive. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'll put it, I don't know. I might've been having a bad day uh, <laughs> to be honest with you. I'm, I'm also, I'm one of those people where if I'm in a bad mood when I'm watching a movie, I, I, I think I have to rewatch it. Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. It's, it's one of my favorite uh, John Carpenter flicks. I have to admit, but uh, I can, I can see that. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely give it another go. All right. We always end with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie. Are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> All right. Number one. On an episode of Behind the Music for Weird Al, comedian Emo Phillips, who plays the shop teacher, showed off a royalty check for this movie. How much did he make in a check for royalties? A, 30 cents, B, $30, C, $300, or D, $3,000? I think it's it's got it's got to be like 30 cents. It is 30 cents, yes. He said that 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 check was indicative of what this movie did for his career as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number two, when approached for permission to parody Dire Straits Money for Nothing, Mark Knopfler agreed on what condition? A, the parody wasn't about food. B, he would come play the guitar line. 
C, a donation was made to his favorite charity, or D, there were no conditions because he refused the parody. Uh, it would be he would uh, play the guitar. Yes, absolutely. Yes, he he agreed in the condition that he got to come play the guitar line. That's so. that's why it's called Money for Nothing slash Beverly Hillbillies. Right. Instead of the Ballad of Jed Clampett, which is what Al wanted to call it. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, number three. Um, and this is because my girlfriend made a big deal about this aspect of the movie when we were watching it. Um, number three, the car George and Bob drive is a 1956 Nash Metropolitan. This same car appears in what later music video? A, Amish Paradise, B, Gump, C, It's All About the Pentiums, or D, White and Nerdy? White and Nerdy? No, no. it appears in It's All About the Pentiums. It's at the very beginning of the video. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, my girlfriend was so enamored by that car that when I found that out, we had to pull up the It's All About the Pendium's music video. Well, first of all, it's a great music video. It is. It uh, is. You know, Drew Carey, right? Y- yes. And and I was telling her, I get it mixed up with White and Nerdy, because in Pentium's, it's Drew Carey, but in White and Nerdy, it's Donny Osmond kind of doing the same shtick. Yeah. It's very, very similar videos, just yes. from slightly different uh, time frames in, in rap video aesthetics. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Lastly, number four, the character of Philo wasn't intended for Anthony Geary, who almost didn't get the part because he was considered a serious soap opera actor. Instead, who did Weird Al have in mind for the part? A, Jerry Seinfeld, B, Joel Hodgson, C, Crispin Glover, or D, Brent Spiner? Um, oh, my goodness. I feel like Jerry Seinfeld was supposed to be in this movie. So I'm going to go with Jerry Seinfeld. You're right. He was supposed to be in this movie, but not for Philo. He uh-huh. was originally offered the part of Bob. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Um, Joel Hodgson was who it was written for of MST3K fame. Okay. But he didn't feel like he was a good enough actor, so he turned down the part. And then Al did actually offer it to Crispin Glover, but Crispin Glover turned it down because he wanted to play the uh, used car lot guy. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Or or nothing else, right? <laughs> right. So it was originally written for Joel Hodgson, uh, but he turned it down. Hmm. Still great, great quiz. Great, great movie. Great conversation. Where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Oh, sure. Um, so if you wanted to listen to me and my brother uh, nerd out over Weird Al and various other nostalgic topics, uh, you can find our podcast. It's called uh, Beard Al Podcast. That's like beer with an apostrophe D uh, in the title. But uh, we're on Twitter at Beard Al Podcast or Facebook.com slash Beard Al Podcast. And we're also on Instagram at Beard Al Podcast. So we are everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a lot of fun. And I've had a lot of fun chatting with you today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, as I said, it'd been over a decade since I've seen this movie, and I just cannot believe how much of it was still in my brain when I rewatched it. Well, you should be proud of yourself for that. I think, like I said, it's, that's not wasted brain space. And um, I, I, I just want to say I, I've had a blast today, too. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. My pleasure. 
So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about UHF, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook where I Have Not Seen This podcast, or email me at havenotseenthis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. Emergency. That was the racetrack. There's been an accident. The driver's been injured. He's coming in now. Hello. I think the racetrack telephoned ahead that I was coming. Hunt. James Hunt. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Lauren Carey for this week's great conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other.